Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Burrow's furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm May. Hello, I'm Chaos. And, and our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped. Loves a circle with no end. No, 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 Hello and welcome to the Happiness Is podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison from Happiness Is Egg Shaped. And today we are going big, very, very early. We are going six foot ten. Now, I've been chatting off screen and I am already very excited and fully immersed in this. This is a man I have admired for a long, long time. He has been the face of a sport in Great Britain and certainly in Scotland He would make this look very, very small. I've got his signature on here. He's a real hero of mine. He is an MBE. He is the one, he is the only, Mr. Kieran Achara. Welcome, sir. Thanks, I'm going to have you do my LinkedIn profile. That was phenomenal. (laughs) Oh, man, I, I genuinely have been such a fanboy of yours for a long time, and I loved getting to come and watch you in your final season with the Rocks. How does it feel to have put that bit of your life to one side you know what it's it's weird because I still haven't you know I, I'm, I'm trying to at times and then sometimes I'm like I don't want to put it to one side you know but it's a it's been a nice transition I think for me you know a lot of learning uh a lot of growing uh trying to fall back in love with the game actually uh I, I went through a, quite a bad spell my last season that kind of was making me kind of think of sport that I didn't didn't like it you know uh, there was something I, I don't know what it was there was something inside of me it was kind of making me feel that way but um I've, I've come to back back in the, that love space again and actually making sure that I'm, I'm, I'm doing exactly what we said we're going to do at the, the Olympic Games and inspire a generation and you've done so many things you've got so many honours and accolades did maybe that final season feel like you were getting to the end of something you were already anticipating it you know what? I think it was. It was. It sounds you know quite you know cheesy, and then people say like, "Oh, it wasn't fun anymore." And you know, everyone's like, "Well, work is not fun. It doesn't have to be fun all the time." Well, to me, basketball was fun. It was. I loved it. I just loved you know the teammates being around it, but it just became too repetitive, and I started to become this you know the old man who complains about everything. Um, and that's you know I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't want to. You know, I, I think I wanted too much change to happen too quickly to make things bigger and better, and I felt that it was just getting very quite stagnant. So, yeah, I think there was that, and there was a little bit of self-doubt creeped in as well because, you know, as you get older, you start to doubt your abilities and what you can do and what you can't do. And I think that that mind game, it, it just was it was so conflicting that I just knew it was time to try and 
do something else. Was some of it pressure from outside? Because you were more than just the player. You were being asked your opinion. You were leading things. You were, you know, a role model to so many guys within your squad, people out with your squad. Was there too many pressures? You know, I've never, for me, external pressure has never really affected me in any way because I am so hard on myself. Uh, so, like, internal pressure, maybe, maybe so. But the... You know, we, we kind of talked a little bit off air. It was that kind of whole success and how it was, how it was defined and how things kind of go forward. Uh, through my career, when I made the move back to Scotland, it was very purpose-driven. So in my mind, it was all about the infrastructure and that being close and being palpable that people could interact with me and see see the work I put in and, and you know, give the high fives in the school, all that kind of thing, I, you know, I absolutely loved for. Then all of a sudden, there was little people niggling away saying I wasn't good, I wasn't a leader, I wasn't this, I wasn't that. And that was coming internally from our club. And it was really, it really, really affected me. And I was never angry at the words that were said to me in that sense. I was more angry at myself for allowing them to affect me. So that's when I knew there was something wrong. There was some type of insecurity that I was having. And it was maybe because I was balancing so many things. So I wasn't trying to I wasn't just a basketball player anymore. I was working at Basketball Scotland. I was doing a master's. I was expecting my, my second child. So I think there was this whole kind of the situation itself. There was a lot going on in my life. And actually, basketball wasn't at the forefront anymore. And that, that, I actually felt a little bit of guilt about that uh, because it wasn't the priority in my life anymore. And because of that, I, I felt the best thing to do was then to walk away. So you know, when I say the external pressures, I think it was more just a my psychological contract was saying, look, I am not as invested as I, as I used to be to playing. So you know, maybe it's best that I, the, the conflict can actually walk away because I then wasn't performing to the way I, I believed I could. And because I, I know more than just Kieran, the, the basketball player, that's where a huge amount of my admiration comes from. You're, you're leaned on by so many different people. Does the criticism of one aspect then... Is it difficult to compartmentalise the criticism of Kieran as a basketballer? Does that then impact on the other roles that you play? Uh, then, at that point, definitely. Because, you know, it's actually taken me, even to this day, I'm still working on it, that, you know, LeBron James always talks about this more than an athlete, and I always talk about it. But when you're worked in that, in that position, and this is something I actually try and work on right now with a lot of athletes, is you are, you are, you are literally more than an athlete, but at that time, that's what you believe you are. And it's actually hard to break it down times. Like we always used to say, you know, you know, we talk about basketball is life, ball is life, this, this, and this. It's like a 24-7 commitment. When the reality is it, it was never that. But in your mind, you believed it was. You know, even from a sport like rugby, you know, they maybe train once a day for two, three hours at a time. But to them, it's everything because then there's the sleep, the nutrition that goes into that. So there's a lot of things that are kind of, I believe, are quite micromanaged in a, in a sense. And the goal, I think, is to kind of create more autonomy in that in that position and understand that you are more than just the sport. And I, like I said, it, it affects so many different facets of your life if, if that if that actually does occur. I remember listening to John Amici, who I, I absolutely love, such an inspiring guy. And he told me, or didn't tell me, told the, the gathered mass that were there, he was benched in America because the coach saw him studying on a flight. So it meant he wasn't fully committed to basketball. Yeah, and and like I said, I believe that there's a bit, you know, there's a lot of old school influences that still exist. You know, I'm still going into you know different academies and so forth, and there's a there's a complete contradiction because at one time they're saying you know we want these services help them become a more well rounded holistic person, but then at the same time it's like that's a distraction, that's a distraction, that's a distraction. So it's either you're in or you're not. And I think a lot of people are kind of finding that hard because the, the old mindset was, you know, you work till you fall down. And by doing that really, really hard work, you'll be the best you can be. And that's what it takes to be a top level professional. With no sleep, no this, no that. And we all know that's not true, you know. Like I even talk about Michael Jordan. Like think about how many rounds of golf he used to go on. And he was, the you know, the best basketball player in the world, you know. So... It's, it's kind of finding that balance and, and saying that, okay, hard work is a necessity, 
but you you know working smart and being holistic can actually help your performance uh, and I think a lot of people uh, especially in the leadership positions uh, need really need to understand that I love when you talk about learning you use the word a lot learning and growing and growth and development those are words that you know if I was to talk them up you would owe me a lot of money if you paid me a pound for every time you used them you played overseas and made a real effort to learn the language was that was that purpose driven or was that because of a love of learning and the culture it was it was definitely I would say more purpose driven the the culture thing actually was quite um secondary to all of that so my, my first year in Italy for example you do what everyone does you you you, you go to your comfort zone so you know I became good friends with all the American teammates because I knew they spoke English. When we were going on nights out, we would look for places that would play, you know, English music. I would look for restaurants that had English menus. And then what you you start to find is you're quite restricted, you know, and uh, I wasn't really trying to embrace anything. So it was actually one of my teammates took me out with his family um, to a restaurant, uh, Italian uh, and there was maybe 15 of his family members there, including his nonna, you know, who was like 89, 90 years old at the time. And the whole table was trying to speak English uh, for me. And the nonna actually apologised because her English wasn't great. And I'm thinking, I'm living in Bologna right now, and I've got 15 family members making an effort to adjust to me when I'm in their country. And I was like, enough's enough. So... When I said my, my range of Italian, it was very, you know, I learned all the, the swear words first because that's what all the fans used to uh, used to chant at us. But um, I just started to pick things up, pick little phrases up, and, and, and you know, you start to immerse yourself in that. And see, when you say, like, hello, thank you, goodbye, can I get, you know, just the, the basic phrases, you actually see people feel appreciated. And that's the best feeling in the world, you know? So... My goal, I said, even in life now, it's, it's it's all about trying to connect. So, you know, we, we always go on about integration, right? I don't really believe in integration per se because I think that both parties have to change. So it's it's constant cultural evolution, you know? So if you look at the dynamics of Scotland right now and you see the different heritages and everything else, the different shops are coming in, the different restaurants, we've taken a little bit of everything and we're kind of bringing it together and that's change. But actually, when we tend to process that, we don't believe that's happening. We believe that, you know, you become Scottish and you this is what Scottish means. And well, what what does it actually mean? So for me, it was it was very important to kind of go through those stages. But then the problem what happened was I then moved to uh, Greece. Then I was in Spain. Then I was in Bulgaria. And then I was like, OK, I'm, I'm going back to Scotland. Enough's enough. As soon as I got to Bulgaria, I was like, you know, I learned Dobra Day and I was, I was, that was me. I had to, I couldn't read, couldn't do anything. So uh moved back to Scotland and learned, learned, had to learn some Glaswegian when I was living on the West Coast as well. So. Which is probably harder. Oh, definitely, definitely. I'm, I'm, every day's a school day here. When you go to a foreign country and, you know, basketball, there's American basketballers in, in every league probably in, in the world there would be that comfort zone of of speaking english what what benefit and probably supporters when they realized what you were doing well like like i said most places i play from a fan perspective you know they still write to me they still still thank me for what, what i did for them even though you know a lot of times we didn't win uh but they they appreciated the work and the effort and like I said, for me, it helped me a lot because I was living, you know, I was traveling to training, going back in my in my apartment, you know, then back then at the start, I was writing letters, there was no FaceTime and everything else, that quickly, it quickly changed. That was really, really important because, like I said, I was, I was starting to embrace that people wanted to take me places, show me things, you know, they're very proud of where they come from. And a lot of people have never taken that effort because they were just there to do a job. And again, for my first my first season, that kind of experience I had, it was really weird because the coach I had spoke English for for the players. I dropped the league two years later with the exact same coach, and he didn't speak any English at training anymore. He spoke only Italian, and it actually helped because I think that his English wasn't great, but he couldn't get everything that he wanted to get across. 
But when he did it in Italian, I started to understand more of what he was actually trying to get the message getting across. So again, it was it was very appreciative, and I, I think, like I said, that authenticity of just trying to make an effort. You know, no one wanted you to be perfect. I always sometimes cringe at sometimes when you come to Scotland and uh, people are trying to make an effort in English, and people are making fun of them for it for getting things wrong and getting phrases wrong. And I'm thinking, you know, they're making an effort. That that's all all you should expect of anyone in life, just to make an effort, you know? So it really, really helped me. It helped me really enjoy my experiences more. I wasn't living for the summers anymore. I was just living for, you know, embracing the culture. Uh, and it also, I think, helped me from a basketball perspective too, just to connect with my, the rest of my teammates and feel a part of something. You've come a long way from Falkirk Fury. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> How did you... How do you end up going to so many different countries? Is it a phone call? Is it word of mouth? Is an agent working for you? How do you, how do you go from one to another? Because I think I've heard you say before about one of the difficult bits of your basketball career was signing one-year contracts, maybe not knowing where you're going to be in 13 months' time. Yeah, it was, it was very, very difficult. And it was, it was, it was very agent-led. Uh, and my, my agent story was quite unique as well because I signed with Lou Deng's agent um, over in the States. And I'm thinking, I knew Lou All, a quality player, was well represented, great agent. Um, but he went through some things. It was like a dispute with another player, and he had to actually let go of his license. So Lou All went to another agent, uh, and I was just left my, you know, my first year out of university. So it was actually the team that contacted me and said, look, we've been trying to get in touch with you, but we don't have a, an agent. I said, well, I don't have one right now. And they, they said, well, do you want us to get you one? And I was, you know, being naive, being me, I was like, yeah, no problems. I never actually thought about the business side of, of the sport and actually they could cut a small deal and pay me less. And, what you know, that anyway, I met this new agent uh, from Italy, Mario Scotti, um, very, very Italian and uh you know he became my agent and he represented me for my whole career and actually he apologized to me my first season to say that my deal wasn't great to me it was a life-changing significant amount of money and he actually helped change my my deal my first year halfway through the season um and uh, like i said uh, you know i would never have known any, any different um uh, but we obviously had a connection he felt a little bit guilty and um did that for me but yeah he stayed my, my my agent through my whole career and I was mainly in Italy obviously and then I actually talked about wanting to go other places so it, Spain was the big one for me uh I really wanted to play in Spain so we kind of put a plan in place on how to get there and we just made that work so yeah I, I, I always felt indebted to him uh but at the same time I, th I think we had a really really good relationship did you ever walk into a club and and think or either or I've arrived or what the hell have I done? Uh the definitely the, the arrived piece when I, I arrived in Spain. I loved that. The the team we had there, even to this day I keep a close contact with a lot of the teammates. Uh and the staff were amazing as well. But the remember I told you I dropped a year, I dropped a league to go in the second uh, league uh, one year in Italy. And that was to be get more of a playing role, so I'd be a starter and kind of get that experience because I was I usually came off the bench, and it was the same coach I had in my first year. But they arrived. I was in Sicily, and they they arrived the first day, and you think Sicily, wow, it's beautiful, and it was. It was gorgeous. The place was amazing. But they showed up for the first day on a a, a moped, a Vespa, and the guy goes, "Get on!" <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, like, what have I signed up for? And it was it was just uh I was like I'm not getting on this. You know, me being my prima donna self, I'm used to getting a driver and this, this and this at the start. And he showed up in a Vespa and I was just like, wow, it was a different life. Like Italy from the north of Italy to the south, it's like a completely different world. But the, the you know how friendly the people were there, it was such a close community. But the you know, the, the physio was like a friend of the the owner. And he would be there with cigarettes, smoking while he was doing, like, giving you some treatment. And it was just a, it was a complete unique experience. Uh, but, yeah, it was, uh, I, I did have a little bit of doubts there and did get on the phone to my agent. Uh, but I quickly adapted to that and, and loved it. Like I said, there's not one place that I've really disliked. 
um, you know, every every place was they had their own little things that I kind of picked up, and I, again trying to come close to the teammates, the locals, and everything. I, I think definitely helped. I'd love to see six foot ten basketball <laughs> player on the back of a Vespa. Honestly, my knees were up in my, you know, I put my my ears, uh, and all the little cars were peeping at me like, get on, like it was just, uh, it was a very unique experience. How how do you find the influence that you've had and the role models you had from the beginning of your basketball career? Because I know. I know who runs Falkirk Fury and, you know, I'll let you talk about him and the impact he's had, not just on you, on on lots of players who have become names and, and many who haven't and and built a, built a real sense of community where I know you can stroll back in and you're just Kieran again. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's great because it's always, it's always reflection, you know, at, at the time you just love it, you know, and, I was saying that for me, my experiences at Falkirk Fury originally started at, at, actually at Stirling High. Uh, for you know, I played for the school team. A, a, a guy called Neil Connell was a great influence to me. He was actually a sixth-year pupil who got me into the sport, and I always laugh because it was like me, like Big Ali Hogg that everyone knows from the rugby world, the uh, big six-foot-four bruiser point guard. He was actually our point guard. Um, we we just loved it. We just played for fun. It was like, like a hobby. And I got asked to go along to the after-school club, started going to the after-school club. I, had, I, I really didn't have that commitment to the sport. Uh, then, event, thankfully, the person running the after-school club was George Connell, who you know, sadly passed away uh, a couple of months ago. Um, and he was the one who really made me love the game of basketball. Like, it was just... like he From a teaching background, I think he was a teacher at McLaren, uh, maths teacher, uh, and I think he did computing as well, and it was kind of getting that experiences of just you know his teaching style into into the sport that he was passionate about, and I just loved it. Uh, so then when I went along to club and I met John Bunyan for the first time, it was a very <laughs> different mix because John was all about you no know, rigid. This is how we win. This is this is this. This is that. And I think the two of them combined was really really great. But what John had was this authoritarian kind of mindset that he could just get things done you know and I I, I I did appreciate that so he was working endlessly to try and help me push and further my career as well as his son Keith uh, who was a great role model of mine who was at Edinburgh uh, Rocks at the time but they were pushing me when actually I didn't want it at that time like I wasn't ready for that I was you know I was still in this kind of being young Kieran going out with my friends at the weekend partying, you know, doing what I needed to do. Well, they were like, you know, you could be this, you could be that, you could do this, you could do that. And it was very conflicting. So when I reflect back on it, I look at the support they were giving me, it was great, and they never gave up on me. But at the same time, it was like, at the time, it was quite overwhelming. And it was like, no, George is cool. I love this because there's no pressure. It's just this, this, and this. And I mentioned earlier about I never put pressure on myself. I didn't put pressure on myself in the sense that I was doing what I wanted to do. <laughs> you know, if someone was trying to get me to do this, this, and this, you know, he was show up for weight training, show up for this. No, I wasn't interested. But then eventually got me, I went over to a camp in, uh, in the States. And again, uh, another great influential coach, John Grant, who also sadly passed away this year, um, got me over to America. And I then saw basketball in that sense, because you, know, you think of America as this and that. And... Another coach put his arm around me and said to me, son, if you work really, really hard, you could get a scholarship. I had no idea what a scholarship was. And he then explained it to me. And that, that was it. That was it. I literally, like, I, I you know, flicked the switch. And I was like, I'm, I'm in. I'm all in. What do I need to do? So now it's the case, like, come to weight training. Okay. Come to training. No, okay. I was, it just changed. And, you know, by that time, I was 15, 16. And... You know, I look at I look at people now, and there's like eight year olds getting told you need to do this and this, and you can't play rugby as well as basketball. You can't, you know, if you want to make it to the top level. But what I'm saying is, it, the minds develop differently. You know, if you're that kind of support network, you can actually be. You know, I could have very easily said, "Leave me alone. 
my personality could say, leave me alone. I don't like this. Get away from it. So I, I, I was saying that John Bunyan, what he did for the community was great in the sense that constantly pushing, constantly evolving. But I think the way that where I tend to, to differ is I don't really care about the being the professional athlete just yet. I care about people loving the game and loving sport and how do we find a way to get more people playing instead of thinking how do we pick a squad of 12 and play in this competition for this little trophy. So I said that that's where the conflict happens, I feel. And I, I feel that now, I think actually it's getting kind of, the government and everything else is kind of enforcing <laughs> a certain mindset now that you have to kind of embrace the whole of sport and be more inclusive and be more of this. But initially for a lot of sports clubs, it wasn't that. It was all about elite competition and actually what was elite? You know, what was the definition of elite? Because elite Scotland, in some sports is not elite in other countries and so forth. So uh, I, I feel that the, the culmination of both the the love of the game plus the, the, the little bit of drive, and this is what you can be, you kind of then make your decisions for yourself. You know, you can be pushed along a certain way, but you have to want it for yourself to actually be able to achieve certain things. So it's just kind of making sure that those pathways are both visible and you can you can see, but I, I wholeheartedly believe that you have to love it first to to go on that journey. And I think a lot of a lot of young athletes don't love it. Don't, don't love don't love sport. They've just been good at it, or people believe that they're good at it, and push them in a certain direction. And then they have all these hopes that are being created by other people of what to achieve, because you can. They believe in you. They this and that. But actually, it's never really been there for you. And then you, you kind of get into a position that you don't know what else to do because this is all you know. Uh, yeah. And it's a scary, scary thing, I believe, for the mind. Amen. I I absolutely 100% agree with that. The, the passion is where it has to come from. And I think we've got, I'm hoping this is going to lead into something we spoke about off, off record. Um, we've got a whole load of people, young athletes, um, at the moment, especially young men who, because the academy structures are in place for, for young men more than for young sports women, who are finding themselves in a position that they don't want to give up because it would be seen as failure, rather than just, it's not the thing for me. So the image of success plays a massive part in this and I, and I know you have a strong view on that yeah and like i said i think that that perception of what is success you know because it doesn't end like i like i said if i was to compare my career to lebron james in a, and the measurements were success and failure i'd be a failure you know we talked off air about piers morgan right now and his mindset on certain things about you know champions and this mindset and that I, I can tell you right now, I know so many champions who don't have a championship mindset. And I can tell you a lot of people who have never won any championships, but definitely have a championship mindset. Because that ability to keep going, you know, learn to reflect and, you know, constant state of learning, being able to adapt to new situations, being able to take critique and just keep trying to better yourself. Uh, and I, I believe that the end game is the, the sustainability in that is exactly that, sustainable when you, you, you keep on, you know, aiming to thrive. But a lot of champions and success, you have this early success making a national team. So, oh, I've made it. But what is your destination? I, I quickly realised that with the Olympic Games for me. You know, for me, the Olympic Games was a destination. And once I reached that goal, I was all this success in my life is going to completely change. And then it's over. And then it's like, okay, why is my life not completely changed? And I think that, you know, we talk about, a lot of people talk about the Olympic blues. It's exactly because of that. So many athletes go through it because we're so de destination focused. We get there and we believe it's just going to be this prize and that everything's going to completely change. You've got the success tree. Now, how many athletes, quote unquote, have been successful who then go on and become bankrupt? have this these issues this this and this is that you know how do you then measure success if you get success sky brown just got an olympic medal at 13. you know is that success now or is their career over how do you then keep going so and actually 
going back to that whole redefinition, uh, redefining success, actually being in the area of, you know, we, we, we measure it with easy labels. So we go financially, you know, we look at power, you know, what kind of power does someone have? Or like now I even look at myself, people will say I'm successful because I've got a title now, you know, I've got an MBA. So I'm, I'm successful, I'm this, I'm that. I was an Olympian, I was, you know, actually what I've realized very quickly was that means nothing if I don't continue to keep going, don't give back, don't try and help others, don't try, like, what's the point? You know, and I, I think that a lot of people fall into that trap because it's so easy to do it. And that, we we set, we set these expectations for ourselves based on societal norms, I guess, in a sense. It's not really what we, or you'll hear it every day, I want to be an Olympic medalist. Why? You can't actually answer the why. A lot of people are like, oh, yeah, because it's, I'll be the best in the world. Okay, what does that mean in the grand scheme of things? But actually, if you reflect on the journey to get there and how you did this and the work you put in, that is a lot more fulfilling, you know? But everyone goes on that journey, but only one person wins. So it's it's really, really hard to kind of, like I said, it's we're, we're aiming for this label at the end, but actually there's so much more to it. And I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that people genuinely giving their best and, and trying to help themselves and help others, that is success to me, you know? And it, it, it sounds, you know, people make say, I sound woke and I'm this, I'm that. Well, no, I, I wholeheartedly believe that. And I, I think the byproduct of that will be, they will get a lot of those different accolades and different this and different that. But that shouldn't be the goal, you know what I mean? That shouldn't be the only goal, you know what I mean? I, I just feel that, I'll give Lance Armstrong as a perfect example of that. Like success, he had the success. How did he achieve the success? Well, actually, ethically, it was the wrong way to do it. So right now we've got this whole new Gen Z of people who it's not enough just to be the best. You have to do, be the best the right way, you know. And how we define the right way is obviously that's subjective. But there's a lot more to it now than just being the best racer, being the best runner, being the best basketball player. There's so much more to it, and you have to live this more, you know, with, a, I guess, your your moral compass is screwed on and making sure that you're you're working to the best of your ability, but also doing a lot more for others as well. It can be a tough sell, though, can't it? And, and, and you know, you're involved in programs and with basketball, but with other sports and with other organisations. It's a tough sell to a kid who sees that gold medal or that trophy or that big contract as that's the success, that's what I'm striving for. To to speak to them about the people you meet, the experiences you have, the skills that you learn, those are, they're not objective, they're not tangible things they can reach out and touch. How, what, where... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's your challenge there with speaking to the different groups and working with the different organizations that you're with. I still believe they aim for those goals. I just think that during the during the time they're going through it, it's it's kind of having these little interventions to kind of look at, you know, like how how are you going forward? So I was always talking about people are now, and a lot of organizations like this now too are very value driven. And you actually see people going for jobs now and they'll, they'll ask about the company culture and what they start, you know. I think that's really, really important in the sense that, say, for example, you've got a young person who needs to be a little bit stronger to get to this next position, and then they actually start, you know, taking you know, doping, right? Well, 
you know, <laughs> those interventions, if you remind them like, like that's not the right way to do things. And actually then, you know, going back to that whole success story, the person who, you know, gets an injury before competition and doesn't make it to the next level or doesn't compete in the Olympics, it's then you have to have those interventions about, think about where you come from, where you, your journey of where you've got to now. Is this going to define you? Is this where you're now going to say you are now a failure because of this? Because you can still go, you can still pivot. And my thing is, it's opening people's minds to these different opportunities. So, like I said, basketball was an easy route for me, in essence, in the sense that, don't get me wrong, my journey wasn't easy, but it made sense. If I said to someone, I want to be a jockey, right? <laughs> I can tell you right now, I'm never going to be on the Grand National as a jockey, right? That's that, that's the reality of that. You know, and I, I always talk about the growth mindset and this, this, and this. You can be the best you can be. But my best I could be wouldn't be a, be suited to being the best jockey, unless I'm going on this really fast Clydesdale. That, uh... <laughs> so I was saying that there's also an element of embracing your uniqueness. And I always talk about this, right? I am unique in a sense, right? I've, I've learned to embrace that. Actually, some of the sports on that can help. But, you know, that is from a, an athletic perspective. See, if I look at my, my mindset, my delivery, the, my empathy, my my approach to you know serving others that suits different environments outside of sport as well you know what i mean so it's that holistic approach to being successful but I, you know that measurement of success for young kids I, I i still believe that they have to they will be goal driven you know but what i'm saying is the destination isn't the end and that's something that's really really important to 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 measure and i, I was saying again from an athlete perspective everyone was talking about what i think athletes stereotypically are really good at is finding motivation i think we're really really good at finding motivation and finding purpose in whatever we do and i you know i'll give the examples of you know someone will say hi to you at a starting line you know and they're like oh they're trying to wind me up they're trying it's because this 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 i'm gonna have to go and prove to to someone else so you know what that's they find different types of motivations and different things you know like you know the social media comments the the team said this the, the person said that i need to provide for my family i need to you know they're they're always constantly changing the bar to keep themselves going keep self-motivated but those motivations have to they don't stop like just when you reach a destination and i think a lot of people get to that destination thinking that is it now it's, it, it ends but it's a constant continuum and you know I don't have the answers from that young person perspective. I, I still feel that they, they should be very much goal-driven and, and trying to achieve and be Olympic medalist and be gold. But th there's that reassurances, the coping strategies, everything else to kind of be put in place to say that isn't that will not that will not define you. You know that that Olympic medal will not be who you are. You know you are still you, and that's 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 the balancing act. I think you have to try and find. So who is your check? for something like london 2012 which you know was was enormous for for the athletes for the country for sports you know it gave basketball a a platform in this country what was your check who helped you so uh, there was there was different uh outcomes i think i was very driven it sounds awful too but you know we've talked about imposter syndrome i my whole career i never thought i was good enough and that was a gift and a curse because I think it did help me get to heights and and motivating me to always never give up and keep going because I need to improve, improve, improve. But at the same time, it also held me back from certain risks like because of that fear of failure. Like the, the whole NBA dream, I never really had the NBA dream. And I, I think I never had the NBA dream because I never believed I was good enough. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like I, I needed constant... Uh, what do we call it? affirmation you know the people telling me you are this you are that and that was my mum as much as as much as it annoyed me at times like I would have a game and she would she was always like no you did this and you did she was constantly that for me so I don't know if I've told you the story but I was I was cut from the Olympic team the year before the Olympics in 2011 uh to, sensitive told by the coach that we're going in a different direction there's players better than you whatever and 
I went home and absolutely bawled my eyes out, cried to my mum, saying I'm quitting the sport because professional basketball wasn't my driver, it was the Olympics. So exactly down that route, and I guess that's where my messaging comes now from the helping others and doing this and doing that. So I now believe I'm a failure. I've been cut from the Olympic team the year before the Olympics, told I wasn't good enough. I want to end my career, go and cry in my bed and don't talk to anybody. My mum, you know, did what every woman does, uh, and kind of she, she did it, and it's not, not, it's probably not socially accepted now. Uh, slapped me across the face and said, "Look how, look what you've done, look what you've achieved, look at the work you've put in to get to where you are. Is that you giving up now? You know." And it kind of put things in perspective. So she asked me to phone up my coach and ask him the things I could work on, things I could improve, and it was actually. His feedback was, I wasn't big enough, strong enough, athletic enough, but if I could rent to stretch the floor and shoot the three-pointer, there could be an opportunity for me. So I'd signed in Spain that year, top league in, in the world at the time because NBA was in a lockout. So the highlight of my professional career, but I was on a downer because I hadn't been. So again, that measurement of success, what does success look like? So I talked to my new coach uh, about working on my three-point shot, that's not what he really signed me for, but he said he's happy to work with me. So before training, after training, constantly working, working, working. So I had a new focus. And that new focus, I ended up having the best shooting season in my career. Um, I ended up changing my role within that team because I now did something that wasn't expected of me at the time, but I, I did it at such a high level that they started drawing up plays and everything else for that. If you now look at my basketball career, people were remember me for being the big guy who shoots the ball. That happened halfway through my career, my professional career, which is you know very unique in itself. But the one lesson I learned from that is when I went to the GB camp for training, I had so much fun and so much happiness learning something new. I actually didn't care much about the, the GB team in a sense. Like if I didn't make it, I knew life still goes on. So actually that you know, that internal pressure I said I used to put on myself and not making mistakes, this, this and this, I went out with this whole new sense of freedom that I, I started to believe myself more. I came from such a you know, such a low point to now going to such a high point and achieving certain things that my camp was, I was just laser, I wouldn't even say laser focused, I was just in the zone, you know, and just did what I did well and made the team. And then from there, I went on to become the, the GB captain. My career could have very easily finished there. And what I'm saying is, going back to what we talked originally, that whole success story, right? Success isn't just, again, it's not a destination. It's not, a, you, can, you can't be defined by the, the, that one thing. It's that you can keep going in different journeys. I wholeheartedly believe, even if I didn't make that Olympic team, I would have been gutted. They're still of hurt. But I knew deep down that, it just still goes on. You know, I can go on and do something else. I can still do that. So right now, I always talk about trying to save the world, right? And people call me crazy. And they might think it's quite big-headed at times. But I genuinely believe I have abilities to help save the world. And so I go out with that kind of mindset, and I try and do things to try, to try and help others. There's going to be some things that actually don't work out at all, but my intentions are pure. And I'll, I'll I'll keep going. I, I won't stop. So that's the that's where I'm at now. And I think these little things have shaped that. But if it wasn't for my mother, that could have been the end of my journey in that sense. Because again, from a definition perspective, I thought I'd failed. You know, it's just so it's quite it's quite interesting. I, I actually during this talk, we realised that where I get that mindset from, and it was from that that intervention. It was exactly from there. Uh, if if mothers don't know, then I don't know who does. Uh, I love it. And with a, a very strong mother myself who has belted me around the head, I know exactly where you're coming from. So I love that. So what was the Olympics then? Did it live up to it? Was it just a bonus with with that mindset? Or did you fully embrace it? Was What was the I, event like? <laughs> the, the event itself, you know, again, if I could have done things differently, I would have maybe been a little bit more focused on the event because my goal was to make, <laughs> to make the Olympics. I didn't think about meddling or winning or, you know, I, I, I think I was quite a realist in that perspective. But um, 
I really embraced it. Like I, from a, from a, again, from a learning perspective, I was just going around so many athletes and asking them how they got here. You know, what was their journey? And what you quickly realized that no one had a plan, really. It was all kind of like this, this, this. Okay, I like this, I did that. All of a sudden I'm here. You know, and it was just, it was just a, a nice to hear because that's that whole just keep going mindset and good things will happen to good people who are, are genuinely pure about just being the best they can be and helping others and doing all these other things. Um, so that's what I quickly realized. And that's not the same in sport. That's the same. And I'm now continuing that journey and asking questions, people now with their, their careers. You know, I'll see like I've got a, a degree in history, but now they're a, a big tech, you know, genius or they're someone who is, you know, did this and now they're a, um, a lorry driver and they love this and they, they help with that. And I, I just love those stories because it's just people just who are just keep going. You know what I mean? And they're finding their niche and they're experimenting. I think especially in this day and age when people tend to keep a job for about five years and they're moving on to different things, you can't allow anything to define you because you'll get stuck in this little trap and then it's like it's either you're good or you're bad. When You know what I mean? Like you're good at your job, you're bad at your job, I hate my job, I hate it. When actually we're constantly evolving, there's constant transitions, it's like we all those soft skills become so much more important you know so having those their values what you kind of stand for you know what is your qualities you know internally opposed to i'm really good at you know bouncing a basketball or scoring a basket well actually what will that then do for my next like you know what i mean actually my communication skills are pretty good i'm quite quite passionate about this i'm quite this and quite that so i, I think that that whole self-awareness piece for me has become the most crucial thing in sport and in life. Um, and that, again, that's something I, I tend to, to preach. Just recently, I did the, the Insights Discovery uh, course, um, practitioner course, courtesy of Andy Lothian uh, Insights, uh, and just to kind of figure out more about the, the personality types and the behavioral types and, you know, how to, to kind of, connect better with other people and things we could constantly be working on and there's a there's a constant theme of that that journey never ends you know it's that you can never get too comfortable you're constantly evolving you're constantly learning and i, I you know I, I wholeheartedly embrace that who did you speak to that just blew your mind to who is the person that or or who who were you desperate to speak to you know i i uh, mo farah was there, uh, had a good conversation with him, I actually got a good photo with him. And I just, with, with Mo Farah, the thing that kind of intrigued me was just how humble, and I think that was the, one of the big things about the village, that you get there and you're like, I'm like looking at these people and I'm like, wow, 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 and then you just quickly realise that they're just people. <laughs> you know, and that's coming from me in that in that space. But the Zoe, uh, you know, Zoe Smith, the weightlifter, I liked her kind of journey as well. It was kind of like she was at the gym, right, right place, right time, and into a competition, and she kind of got, had a natural knack to it, and just wanted, you know, it clicked. It was later on in her journey, um, because again, for me at that time, I think that weightlifting was it was a very stereotypical male kind of sport. You know what I mean? And I think that she kind of, from a British perspective, for me, kind of might and like, okay, actually, what does that actually mean? Um, why can't people do this and why can't people do that? And it, you, you start to think about your own mind and how things kind of, you know, subconsciously uh, change for the environments that you're in and things that people say and what people can do. Uh, so yeah, she was she was really really interesting. Um, and then at the time, Ryan Giggs, it was just just seeing him at the Olympics. I thought that was really really cool too. But yeah, it was just. Most of the athletes, it wasn't even from just from GB. I was just talking to everybody. You know, there was a, a young girl who was competing from, um, what's the Portuguese island in Africa? The Oh, oh that's a big test now. Um, oh. Ge geography test. <laughs> anyway, um, she was there by herself competing had no coach no this no that and i'm just thinking like how does this happen you know but she was just happy to be there you know like what she'd overcome to get there and 
training and the crowdfunding and this, this, that. I just think that was so cool, you know, and I just, again, I just appreciated that. And she, I don't even think she got the first, the first round. Uh, I think it was the 200 she was competing in. And I just think that was, like, again, that whole definition of success, you know, like what, what you know, we don't know everyone's journey. We don't know the amount of money that's been spent into certain things and the support networks they had and everything else. There's so many different factors that come into play. So it's just like, you know, uh, just keep going. That's all I can, that's all I can say. Yeah, I, I love when you, you get that. And that's something I've, I say to, to kids I teach that you don't know what their journey is. So just be kind, just, just always be kind and then hopefully you'll get it back. Um, I think you're Googling now. I'm Googling. Is it the Azores yeah. or Madeira for Portugal? <laughs> I honestly can't remember. I'll, I'll get back to you with that. I love it. I love it. Was, it. I, I, it wasn't an island. It was It was. After, it was colonized by the Portuguese. In Africa. Oh, okay. okay. Was, no, I've, I've got it. I've got it. It's uh, Cape, Cape Verde. Ah, right. Well, well played. Well played. You grabbed that one back. I'm impressed. <laughs> Love it. So I'm I'm keen to know, I, I've I've thought this for a long time. I've been a PE teacher in Scotland. Every school pretty much in Britain has a games hall. We have basketball hoops. We have basketballs. It's on the curriculum in pretty much every school in the country. One of the first skills you learn in primary school is how to bounce a ball. Where does the basketball culture sort of run out, or what what opposition does it, what barriers does it come up against in Great Britain? I think the elitist mindset. Again, so again, going back to the whole how accessible is basketball? It should be very accessible, but it's not. So, give you a perfect example of that: the young kid who's thirteen who's looking for somewhere to play because they've seen such and such. Is then asked to come to trial, or you know, come for a trial, or come be a part of this, or actually, you know, I've played for Scotland since I was twelve. You know, if I'm not playing for Scotland, there's probably no point in playing anymore because I'm not that good. So I think that elitist mindset is a real big barrier to our sport. Another one is for me, from an educational perspective, is. How many, this is an open question, how many PE teachers genuinely care about teaching basketball? Like, so remember I was telling you about that passion George Connell had and, you know, the love and making me love the sport. Um, how many people actually have that? And it's two reasons. One is they don't watch it, they don't really care about it. Other one is they don't, completely understand it, the rules. So it's just kind of like, you know, they, they brisk through this, they look at their coursework, what they need to deliver on, they don't immerse themselves into it. And that's not their fault. That's because it's a, it's a, a quote unquote, an alien sport to them. You know, you kind of go to your default, what you feel most comfortable with. So, if, you know, if it's someone, a lot of schools, especially primary schools, you know, you'll have the janitor sometimes take the football team. Right, so there's a love there, there's a passion there. It's, it's you know, you, you come up with it, they feel comfortable in that environment. You're now stepping out your, your comfort zone again. And, you know, a lot of people badge collect and they get their badges and do this and do that. But actually, it's the bare minimum, you know. And I, I say the same thing from from any subject in, in, in school. You know, languages are one of those big things for us. I, I, I feel that we, we do bare minimum languages and I go to other countries where I've lived. And I'm like, wow, like it's, it's actually frightening. But it's something they're passionate about because they believe that language creates more opportunity. The more languages you know, the more open you can be. Well, actually, well, where we live, it's like, well, if you don't understand English, what's the point? That's all you need. You know, it's very different. It's a very different mindset. I think the same thing with sport. I think it's just the, the lack of understanding the passion. But then at the same time, this new wave, this new generation, there's not really an outlet for them. I always talk about gateways into sport. Um, club, The club infrastructure, and that's not just for basketball. There's a lot of sports uh, like that, that the club infrastructure is very much, you know, elitist-based with no premise to understand what elite actually looks like. And you can't have elite without having mass participation. And it's not sustainable. You know, the... 
obviously the more people playing sport, the more people doing, the more competition becomes, that naturally becomes, and then you can start like you know fine tuning at different stages. But if we don't have that mass participation thing, it's very very difficult, and I think that is the one of the biggest barriers uh, to sporting success in general in, uh, in Scotland. And it, what uh, talking of barriers? So you you know you played in an area where basketball is does have some importance. There was a club to fuel that, and you know mentors there to to guide you. What barriers have you come up against? So for me, the the barrier for me the barriers into sport, right? So I I when I say I got lucky, I got lucky, right? So we had a passionate school kid who was a sixth year. Who was willing to take a school team? Uh, we had supportive PE teachers who actually came from a basketball background, and Mrs. Morrison was one of our PE teachers, and then Mr. Clark, who was opened us with open arms to just take us along. He didn't really know much about the sport, but was happy to commit to that. Um, so I was lucky in that sense. Then George Connell came into my life because of Neil, who was another one passionate. There was a there was an environment for me to there. Then Falkirk Fury, I'm not from Falkirk, I'm from Stirling, so there was, I had to travel. But George Connell was my coach who lived in Stirling, who then took me through. So if I look at this day and age, that doesn't exist because of safeguarding. That coach wouldn't be able to drive me to training, right? So that wouldn't exist. It wasn't there, you know. Then fees everything else the you know the direct debits of 40 pound a month this this and this i wouldn't have burdened my mum with that back then you know if there was that bigger fee because again at that stage in my life i wasn't that committed to the sport so that's quite a quite a big expense to some families so if i if i wasn't really really loving it that much okay i'm, I'm not going to burden her with that so again i don't exist then the final caveat now is look at national team, you know, you're paying about nine hundred pounds a summer, whatever, and they'll they'll write something saying, you know, if you can you know, if you think that you cannot afford it or whatever it may be, you get in contact and we'll try and find a way. Again, I wouldn't have burdened my mum. I wouldn't even have put her in that position that she, you're having to go to, you know, the governing body and say, I will find a way to, you know, can you help us out here because we don't have the money. You know, so <clears throat> I was saying barriers I actually don't exist in this day and age I didn't have fees I didn't have this I didn't have that so I don't exist and that's again it's something that kind of motivates me about the infrastructure because it's not it's not it's not a club fault that's a government fault in my opinion you know because if you look at the way our you know we've got this amazing sporting infrastructure with some of the best facilities the best this but how much do they cost you know, so how where do you put that cost? Well, you have to put the cost onto the parents. Now, actually, if you put the cost onto the parents, you're now there's a whole section of society who now can't access that. You know, that's not the club's fault. In my and I, I keep going back to that. It's bigger than that. So if I go to somewhere like a Spain, and the government subsidise a facility, which for that community that they can go and use, and the team runs that, but the the, the caveat is. You know, it's free for the kids to use, but actually, the health benefits, the you know mental well-being benefits that they see it as a return on investment. We're not at that stage right now. We we see sport as an afterthought. We see sport as you know, even going from an educational perspective. Okay, it's exam time. Let's completely stop sports completely because <clears throat> education is the most important thing. When we're not thinking about actually. This can help enhance and get your mind changed in different places and everything else. <clears throat> so it's like right now, the culture that we have in Scotland is very much sport is <clears throat> a nice afterthought uh, when actually it could be an enhancer to so many things. And that again, that's where the conflict, that's where the barriers really came in. And now you're a parent. What what does the future look like for for sport? Are you are you motivated by it? Are there things you can see are improving? Is basketball in a good place? I, I love like like I said, I love sport, and I love now that actually you can be five and six and go to different sporting things. You know what I mean? Like there's you know the little kickers and there's um, 
you know, was it rugby tots and, you know, all these different little groups are kind of going on. My biggest fear is that academy elitist mindset. So I'm looking at, for example, football, and I'm seeing eight-year-olds signing for clubs and being a part of this. And it, it's so cool. Like I'd be a proud parent, you know, you're getting to hold the jersey and everything else and signing this little contract and you get to meet some of the star players. But I also think it's set up a lot of people for failure. In this, in in that traditional sense, because of what what you do is when you sign there, you're thinking of the professional level and playing at the highest level and being in the Olympics and doing this and doing that. But they're not actually talking about the actual journey, like in a, in a sense that you've already made that. So I, I I don't like that whole. I think that there's a whole recreational facet of life that's getting missed out on now because it's very very much institutionalized. And if that environment is not right, or they become too depending on that institution, it can be, it could essentially set them up for failure. So that's the thing that fears me about sport. Um, I'm liking, you know, UK sport are now looking at their their funding streams and how they've kind of went about it, and you know, there maybe needs some changes there because I'm, I'm looking at the well-being of athletes now and the whole duty of care aspect of things. So I know there there is going to be drastic change. Um, I'm just at the same time, I just believe that there needs to be a huge cultural shift from what sport actually is and the, the benefits of sport opposed to just thinking about how do I become the next, you know, whatever professional it is. Kieran, I, I love talking to you and there's, there's a lot more to go, but uh, I've had you for a long time. You've... <laughs> You've always been striving to learn and, and to grow. You've been to uni in America. You started a course that eventually you, you finished off. You're no doubt going to continue to do that. But you are known for bouncing a ball and throwing it through a hoop. The feeling of 2.3 seconds on the clock, the inbound the ball to the big guy that shoots, and you sink that basket to win the game. Are you able to describe what that is, what that feeling is? Not at all. And it's crazy because I've, I've, I was counting my game-winning shots, the last second shots, and I've, I've, I did it my first year professional in Italy, and I did it once when I was at university. And I've, you know, in the British League, I've maybe done it six times now, six times, that, that last second, like literally the last shot of the game. And it got to a point that I was like, I expected to do it. You know what I mean? Like every time I shot that ball, I, I just, I genuinely believed it was going in. But when I missed, it was it was quickly erased because I just realized that they don't always go in, but I believed it was going in. So I think that it was just a weird thing. I think if it never happened in college, it never happened in university, it never happened in my first year pro, it could have been completely different. So that's the thing for me, that the whole thing about the mind it's such an amazing thing because it, it literally can trick you into believing you are. <laughs> you know, you can't miss. But that again, it's a gift and a curse. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it, I've had many, many fond memories. And one of my friends said to me, well, that's never happened to me because we beat everybody by 20 points. So <laughs> it was because you weren't good enough to win uh, by more. So I was like, okay, that's a nice, a nice way of looking at it. <laughs> Way to bring you back down to earth. <laughs> Kieran, listen, I, as I said, I absolutely loved it. Thank you for giving up the, the time. Uh, there's so much in there for, for me to, to learn, and I think everybody that's listened will have absolutely loved it. So thank you very much. It's been brilliant to see you. Look after yourself and, and enjoy getting out and being free again. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Kieran. An absolute mountain of a man. Uh, lots in there to listen to and to consider and to learn a voice that needs to be listened to because there is definitely enough in there to support having been through all those experiences and to look at what's going to happen in the future. Kieran Achara, GB, MBE, all those good things. But when it comes down to it, just a bloody good human. If you've enjoyed it, 
please subscribe on Apple, Acast and Spotify. You can watch on Facebook and YouTube. Leave a comment if you enjoyed it. Tell your friends and hopefully you'll be back again very, very soon for the next Happinesses podcast. With me, your host, Bruce Aitchison, and my happiness is always egg-shaped. Thank you very much and I'll see you all again very, very soon. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. Oh, what's going on? It's not about this last night. And he said, happiness is egg-shaped. Hey, um, happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. 